Welcome to the Platypus Podcast. My name is Lozy. We're finally back after a couple of weeks. Was uh, dog sitting, hence why we didn't get much done. And, yeah. Annoying as that is, it's all right. Um, but we're back, so it's not too bad. Back with Talvet, Eternal, Sipiak, and a few others as well. And uh, yeah, we've got a little bit to talk about. Obviously, in the time period that we've been away, there's been a rather big thing that is the uh, release of Hearts of Iron 4, which is what we are playing right now on stream. Um, it's good. It's enjoyed it. How How's everybody? like? We'll come on to how everyone's thought about it in a minute. Um, we're not going to do it just yet. Um, the reason being is we've got some other stuff to talk about as well um, before we get on to that, and that's what we'll be talking about as well. But, as I said, we're joined by Eternal and... Um, tell that as usual, but we're also joined by Patriot. Say hello. Hey. And obviously, we're also joined by Sipiak as well. So, yes, we're all we're all here, all happy as Larry, all friendly. Um. So yeah. So what we're going to talk about this week is we are going to discuss the sales figures that came out for EU4, Hearts of Iron 4 and Stellaris came out a few days ago um, so we'll be discussing them we'll also be discussing the patch notes for 1.10 which is the new patch for uh, Hearts of Iron which was announced midweek, they've been announcing the they've done the same as what they did with uh, Stellaris but we'll go on to that in a minute um so, and we'll also be discussing some more details about the DLC. Still hasn't got a name, but we all know what it's about for Crusader Kings 2. So, as you said, the first thing we're going to talk about is the release of sales figures for the three most recently released games from Paradox. Uh, these games, these figures came out midweek. They came out on the 23rd. Um, it's now the 26th of recording. Shouldn't timestamp these, but hey. Um, yeah, so they came out, and the big news from it was EU4 has hit a million sales. And to celebrate that, the Paradox gave a few um, streams of EU4, just kind of saying, well done, congratulations to everyone, cheers for buying it, kind of thing. Um, there was also sale figures for Stellaris, which is at half a million sales since its release last month. And EU4, in the two weeks that it was released, has sold 200,000 copies, making it the fastest selling Paradox game um, ever, basically. There's been no game that's sold as fast as Hearts of Iron 4. Now these figures, particularly for, they're not said for Hearts of Iron, what figures these are that have been sold, and it's not said for Stellaris either, but for EU4, it's about to say Crusader Kings, it's not Crusader Kings, it doesn't include DLC or content packs or any other downloadable content. So, that is, if you go by the price of the British, um, 
store page that is 34.99 times as a million so that is 3.5 million net income from the release of um, EU4, which has been out now for a few years. It's been out for, what, two and a half years, I think? Um, someone else might know if anybody's going to jump in. Anybody? No? No. Okay. Yeah, I think it's been out for about two and a half years. Right. Okay, sorry for that. The crash and whatnot. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll carry on. So, as I was saying, it's, um, sale figures of about 3.5 million. For no, sorry, 35 million net income, and that is just for E4, not including all of its DLCs, etc. So I would inflate that number to around 50, I'd say. Does that seem reasonable? Wait, what? So I'm just like, so there's been a million sales of E4, and that doesn't include the um, DLC or the expansions. Which obviously means that that's 35 million. I'm going for pounds here. Paradox gets for that. But then it also means that when you start considering DLCs, etc., which obviously certain countries, uh, certain places, certain people would have more, bought more DLCs than others, is quite a lot. So. It's like almost uh, 5 million US dollars. 4.7, I think. What for? 35 million. So, yeah. 3.5 million or 35? 35 million. Oh, 35 million. Oh, I thought you said 3.5. No, 35 million. 3.5. 35 million dollars from 35. The British pound well, isn't that you're, weak I thought, yet. No, I'm, I thought you were the, talking the about like... The British pound isn't that weak yet, alright? No, I'm not saying that at all. I thought you were talking about just like the sales of Hearts no. of Iron. Total. No, no, sales of Hearts of Iron are at 200,000. Which is the, okay. um, what do you call it? Fastest selling game for. Yeah, units. I'm talking about like price that they've made from those units. But it's the same, it'd be the same price though, surely. Because it's £35 the base game. It's they like. They haven't discussed or let out how much of it is, um, what do you call it? But if it's £35. Mm hmm. It's going to be a little more in American and Canadian money. I mean, I know I paid $43 for the game in Canadian money. Yeah, but I'm saying if it's the same... Um, it's not the same price everywhere, though. You no, should. I know, but that's, I'm going off if it, acting as if it is. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, so they've sold a lot, but as I say, how much do you reckon overall they've made off this? Because... I'm thinking when you take into consideration that it's five, a million copies of EV4, right? And then you've got all the DLC on top of that. You've got half a million copies of Stellaris, and then you've got 200,000 copies of EU uh, Hearts of Iron 4. They've made about like a rough estimate of 75 million plus off these the sales of these games. They must have done. Um, especially when you start considering the EU4 DLCs. I know not everybody buys them, but each major DLC pack costs about £10 um, or $15. And then you've got the content packs that cost anything from 3 to $5. And 
then you start adding them up and there's been about four or five expansions so you're paying again for the price of the game you've got to consider there are definitely people who bought the field marshal edition of Heart, um, hearts of iron so they effectively buying two copies because it was the same bloody price um so yeah they've they made an absolute killing off this surely they've made an absolute fortune so um, mm. the question is where are they going to invest this money obviously games cost money to make but where are they going to invest the rest of it and then uh, take more into people account, making games uh, they put 15% of their company on IPO, so they made money from that too. Yeah, that's also true. They're a game making company, what else would they put it in? They'll, maybe they'll upgrade the engine a bit. That should cost a lot a of money. A lot of hookers. A lot of hookers. <laughs> hookers and blood. God damn it, it's not capturing parts of iron for some reason. But uh, did you get your stuff set up, Tavet? I know that you're yeah. setting up his stuff. I'm done. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's a massive interest one. But also, congratulations, obviously. That's something that we should stress. Congratulations for actually making that, uh, what you call it? Making those big sales. A million sales of EU4 is, is pretty big. Now, Hearts 4, we expected to sell quite quickly. We kind of all said it was going to. We we all said we were going to buy it. I mean, look how many people in the 19T play it. Stellaris is a little bit surprising, though, for me. Um, I don't know what you guys think. I'll ask you in a second. Because for me, I think the thing is the Stellaris is 4X space strategy games aren't particularly popular. Then It's not that they're not good. I've not had bad experiences with them. Um, but, yeah, they're not particularly massively popular. So, for example... Sins of a Solar Empire, which actually just got a recent new upgrade, uh, DLC. There's a few people who play it, but not that many people. And then you've got games like Galactic Civilizations and stuff, etc. Hearts of Iron 4 isn't being captured on stream. What the fuck is going on? Why is that a thing? I don't know. Hang on, bear with me. There's also that whole new Master of Orion game. That was pretty popular. You mean the Master of Orion game that was just Master of Orion? Yeah, the new one. The, yeah. Like, rode in on a wave of space strategy games. But, I mean, yeah, I think Stars is the surprising one. Is there anything in there that you think surprising or you expected, or what do the sale figures mean to you, you guys? I was actually. I thought that Solaris would be a little bit higher than it was. You thought it had sold more copies or sold faster? Well, obviously, uh, I thought it copies. would have sold more copies. I think, I think the thing with Stellaris that may have kind of shot itself in the foot a little bit was a lot of people did buy it early, but then obviously there are people who kind of didn't know what to expect from it, particularly older, experienced inverted commas at Paradox players, people who know that these games will get down fairly low price on sale, um, and the whole thing, so, like, the whole um, bundles will get low on sale, so that might be a thing. Um, and also, I think, being a new IP, new IPs always are a little bit of a shaky ground, because people aren't quite sure what to expect from them. Um, obviously, this is not done 
it's not done too bad. It was the fastest, obviously, Stellaris was the fastest selling game in Paradox history until Hearts of Iron 4 took it over. So I think Stellaris have done well with their big releases. We, as I said, we're going to do like a mini kind of review, well, a retrospective review, should we say, um, later on of Hearts of Iron 4. Um, we did do one a couple of weeks ago on release week, but I didn't have all the things I needed to do in my podcast and get it out and sent to you guys, so we just kind of left it um, lying there. Um, no, that's not okay. Sorry, I'm just thinking about things. Um, so, yeah. You're oh, forgiven. We'll have to see what happens. Go on. Are you going to say something? No, I just said that you're forgiven. Uh, yeah, no, I was pausing, like, talking. So, the other thing that's come out this week is a new, well, the patch notes for 1.1.0 for Hearts of Iron 4. So there's been for a while the 1.1 patch, 1.01, god damn it, I'll get it right eventually. Um, and, yeah, it's, what it's bringing is it's trying to sort out the initial issues that the game had, which again is stuff we'll bring up um later on and we'll mention it a little bit when we're talking about it here but it's not going to be massively so one of the things they're going to talk about is the access to allied territory so this is one of the biggest things that people have had a stick with in the um release of hearts of iron 4 so the way the game has worked so far is that if you have a common enemy you immediately have access to another nation this means that if the Chinese or the British Raj have a border with the Soviet Union and are at war with Germany but the, and the Soviet Union are too, the British Raj can march all the way through Germany and attack them. Um, it kind of prevents like buffer zones in a way and it can be really weird and it leads to some really weird like situations. So one of them, a lot of people complain that they defeat Germany and then they go to fight Japan. Now what the AI does is it marches all the way through the Soviet Union to go to Manchuria and Korea. And people are just like, what? Um, and Soviet Union players like say, well, if I want to invade Western Europe, I can't because all their forces already in my land, blah, blah, blah. That's one of the big things that they're going to be changing. The second thing is peace conferences. That's another major problem that people have been having. And it's got really, really strange. Um, they're now going to make it much more turn based um they did that anyway i I don't really know how they're going to change it um i haven't actually been able to play the 1.10 patch yet we'll have to wait and see um naval bombers can now attack trans troop transports which is new because the only people who could do that before was fleets which kind of sucked for a germany player because the ai really liked to attack northern germany unless you had a few units there preventing it um, obviously now they're talking about how naval bombers, so the naval bombers that Germany have from the beginning um, in northern Germany will now be able to sink these these uh, transports. And I've noticed that navies and air forces are much more deadly in this game. So air forces bring down uh, navies much, much quicker. Also, there's a big improvement to the AI where they're talking about with the AI commanders, you will now have three choices of how you want to pursue the commands that you give your 
generals. Do you want to take it slow, normal, or rush it? Basically, how it was in EU Hearts of Mind 3, when you had the aggressive or defensive um, AI generals that you set it to. I personally think this is a good patch. I have, obviously, I haven't been able to play it yet, and I kind of want to, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Um, it's going to be a while yet, but that be should be okay. Um, what do you guys think of the Red Bull patch, as it is known? Well, just typical Paradox patch. They messed some stuff up at launch, and now they fix it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it looks like they just completely migrated the AI system from Hearts of Iron 3 by this point. Yeah, it's very similar. Just that they made an interface to it slightly more usable. Mm. Yes, yes, maybe. So, yeah, that's I'm nice. just looking forward to, to uh, maybe more because uh, the AI can think about doing. What do you mean? More intelligent, being able to rather than keep tossing men at one particular zone, try to go around it if they can't. Yeah, I mean. Uh, looking at the subreddit, there's some people who seem to have what almost seems like wonder AI. AI that's really good and uh, knows what it's doing. And then there's some people who seem to have AIs that just seem like a like it's trying to talk to a brick wall. Which is uh, a bit strange. Some of them seem a lot, some AI seems a lot better than others and I'm not quite sure why. Right. Why that's the case, but yeah, it's definitely happening for some people. Um... Obviously, I don't know what it would be like for after the patch. I need to try it and play it. We'll probably give you that next week and let you know how it's like. But yeah, Tyler, what's your view? I just hate how uh, AI Britain always just goes straight for fucking Rome. It does they seem... haven't done that in the last patch, though. The hotfix patch. Mm. I haven't noticed it, at least. I haven't played the patch yet, but before, it just fucking... Okay. What, just a beeline for landing in Italy? Yeah. It did seem but, well, weird. They would land in like Genoa and just go straight for Rome, and there'd mm. be no troops. Like, it lands perfectly behind where their troops would be, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, yeah. What, that problem that I was uh, telling you about, where I was literally nuked the shit out of Germany several times. I was on the gates of Berlin, took Berlin, they did a peace deal with Britain, and the next thing you know, I don't own Berlin, and there is no allied troops in Europe. Mm. That, that's what they're talking about with fixing that peace conference. Probably. Like it just drives me nuts. Like as soon least... as World War II click kicks off, you can't do any peace conferences, basically. Only the allies can. So if you're not in the allies, you're fucked. There's no point in playing, basically, unless you're Axis or ally. Like, if you're doing something else, then there's really no point. Well, yeah, and it, go ahead. Yeah, their occupations are kind of silly, I think, as well. Well, like, if a, if a country is part of a faction, then you have to keep, like, policing them all the time. But if yeah. they're not, they just give up after you capture them. And you just get mm -hmm. all the territory, like, you can deploy troops there, there's no resistance. I don't know what's going on with that. It I seems kind of silly. I've had some pretty weird games too, like where Venezuela became the leader of the Axis after I took out like Germany and Japan and shit, and yeah, like nobody could kill them for some reason. Like it, they just destroyed everything. That's happened with me in a game. So we 
been playing a large multiplayer game. I defeat the United Kingdom, but then the next major became British Raj. So to actually physically end the war in Europe, I have to take out the British Raj, which is a bit of a pain in the ass, basically. Yeah, but after you do that, it'll just make something else the next major. Probably, yeah. I'll have to go through every single Commonwealth nation. Until all yeah. the uh, AI, or sorry, allied or Axis or whatever yeah. faction... But hopefully in the peace conferences, etc., it'll make it a little bit more kind of flexible, make it easier to take um take stuff out of it. I mean one thing I do get I don't I can uns sorry. One thing that I can argue against and kind of argue quite in my eyes quite perfectly well is when people complain about it being called the German Polish War for World War Two and the point I give across is, well, you have the German-Soviet war and you have the Japanese-Soviet war later on. They are technically separate wars in the world, in Second World War type thing. And now, there's no, no thing that they called like the Second World War until later. Yeah, and I think that's, that's something that people should maybe think about. And it's got nothing to do with the patch or whatever, it's just me bringing it up. So... Yeah, we'll have to see what 1.1 does, the Red Bull patch. Red, I'm saying Red Bull, as in Bouncy Ball, not Red Bull, as in the... Uh, I didn't realise how bad my difference in pronunciation of those were. Not the energy drink, unless we were sponsored by them, and then maybe we would. It's as in Red Bull Express, which was the uh, express lines that, for supplies that ran through Normandy and northern France, etc., etc. Um, see, I know my shit. Um... And yeah, that's kind of the Hearts Vine news. I'd say we're going to do a retrospective uh, review in a minute after we discuss CK2. So, yet again, we've had another CK2 dev diary in the last couple of weeks discussing the as yet unnamed Crusader Kings 2 expansion that is on its way that I feel is going to have a name of something like End of Days or something like that. So, basically, we know it's going to have something to do with plagues and then they brought some more stuff in with this dev diary and it's caused a lot of kind of fallback so the dev diary pretty much reads because it's a very very short dev diary uh hello once again i'm here to tell you about the horrors of the wonders of in, in uh, commas secret dlc they're talking about two narrative events that you can get so one of the ones um is called the end of days chain this is why i think it's going to be called the end of days um, is the rise, basically what will happen is you have the rise of the Prophet of Doom, who's convinced the world will end if they don't overthrow your rule, so basically another faction. Um, general belief that the dead have returned to walk the earth and attack the living. Panic based on the solar eclipse, which is surely signaling the end times. They said these events are rare, and there's some, each possible Doom has several ways to resolve it, for better or for worse, so you hope you find them rather interesting. The second part is the fact that there is now, they're going to add another chain, which is the Quest for Eternal Life. Um, basically, CK2, more people obviously would like to be constantly live and stuff like that. It's weird. A lot of people have not, well, you yeah, know, a lot of people have got angry at it. Um, the reason people are getting angry at this is because it seems to suggest, um, at least in some sort of way, that they're kind of moving away from the historical setting that has always kind of been part of Crusader Kings, and they're moving towards this kind of fantasy setting. A lot of people are immediately looking at the idea of zombies, and they're like, well, hang on, 
are you are you saying you're inserting zombies into this game? That's not cool. We don't want that, etc. Um, which I don't think it's going to be the case. I think it's just going to be kind of like rumors of that happening, and it's going to cause like um, fallout, etc. So obviously, you're going to have people getting um, higher increase of national unrest, etc. The second part, the quest for immortality, again, if if it doesn't if it's a case of, oh yeah, there is a quest for immortality, but nine times out of ten you die, then fair enough, that kind of seems slightly historical. Um, but then if you have an immortal character, that seems a bit strange, if you, uh, you get my meaning. So, I don't know how I feel about it, basically. Um, what's your guys' interpretation of the uh, new, inverted commas, well, the new, oh, the new Dev Diary? So. I'm I'm glad they're doing that because some of the best stuff coming from CK2 is the kind of weird occult stuff, where like somebody goes mad and makes a horse their counselor, and then they become driven by Satan to become the best martial artist in the world or something. I'm sure you've seen those. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I know let's plays or whatever you call them, post-action reports. Yeah. Which, at least in my opinion, those are always the best stories to come out of that game. Where something really weird out of the world happens. So I'm glad there's more weird out of the world stuff to happen now. Alright. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah. Well, it's not the first time that they're adding something that is not realistic. And my opinion, when they add something not realistic, they add something interesting. I think it's kind of... It's not like it's easy to get immortality, and we're not really sure if it is immortality. Maybe they're gonna try trying to trick us. But if mm. it is, I'm won't be angry. I think it's a nice touch to the game. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't think it's gonna be anything unrealistic. I mean, uh, there was uh, the Spanish were uh, trying to find a fountain of fucking youth and shit. I mean, yeah. it could be something along the lines of that. Uh, the whole uh, zombies, end of the world, doom prophet thing, that's realistic because, I mean, uh, look at during Roman times, there was the Essenes, they were like a doomsday cult of Jews who believed that the uh, end of the world was in their time period. So, I mean, that's, could, they could do something like that uh, with some sort of Christian or Muslim cult or something like that, I don't know. So, I don't think it's going to be anything unrealistic. I just think the way they worded it was in a way to get attention and hype. I mean, I, I, I don't know, I, th I think, I don't mind, like, I quite like the idea of having doomsayers and stuff that kind of bring about, like, another faction and try and bring your country apart, but I, I really Adds a religious extremism to the game. <laughs> well, I don't want an idea of having, like, legitimate zombies in it, I don't want that, that's just, for me, personally, moving way too far away from the kind of initial ideas of it and the way that the game has worked for So are you suggesting that they would have like a zombie kind of thing you'd have to put down? Is that Yeah, like it would almost be like I don't I don't think that's what they would do. I don't I don't know. I think it's still under speculation. We'll have to wait and see. I I I don't think it will happen, but there's always a bit of me that's a bit like well, the worst could happen. I mean, I've lived through this week. You, you wake up one morning thinking nothing's bad's going to happen and then you realise that some, the worst has happened. We'll uh, discuss that probably later. Um, 
But yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, those are those are the kind of big things from Paradox over the last week or so. Um, there's obviously new Crusader Kings, uh, new EU4 music that you can go get free if you're listening to this before the 4th of July. If you download it off the uh, store, then it's yours forever. Just thought I'd mention that. We're not sponsored by Paradox, just let you know. But, you know, everybody likes free stuff, so we thought you'd let you know. So, our retrospective review of Hearts of Iron 4. Now, I've played over 70 hours of this now. Um, I don't know how many hours you guys have played, but it's been a fair few. 72. Yeah. It gives us kind of... It means we've had a couple of weeks of it. And we're not looking at it with these kind of oh my god it's amazing it's new but we've we've found the issues we have played it we've played through a few games and we know what well i personally feel like i know exactly what i want to say about it etc so i'm gonna let you guys do your bits first and then i will give my personal review on it so who wants to go first someone claim it hearts of iron four mm-hmm well, I guess I'll do it since nobody else is talking. Uh, I like it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Done. Yeah, that's, that's about a wrap, it. guys. Done, right? Okay, let's go. Let's go to the pub. Come on. I mean, it was probably the easiest uh, grand strategy game out of Paradox I've had to play. Mm-hmm. So I, I was, I was uh, glad that it was that way. I didn't have to learn much. And also, uh, it seemed to be the most active, I guess, where something was happening all the time. Unlike in any other Death Strategy game, where you just sit for 20 years and wait for your goal to pick up. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I think they brought in some UI designers and some game designers, and they made this game really come together to be all, all nice and continuous, and fun to play and easy to control. Okay. Who wants to go next? Well, just was building off of what Sipiak was saying with the kind of easy to learn, hard to master kind of deal. Yeah. And I think those typically do better in the end. No. But, uh, I mean, there's like a, a couple things here and there, like obviously the, what they're, uh, they're already fixing it for, with the next patch, but uh, there is kind of an if you're up against certain powers uh air force mm-hmm. there's like no way that you could potentially try to overrun it or it's very difficult unless you just were producing mass amount of fighters or whatever but the uh naval bombing with the uh sorry port strikes I'm glad that they're uh fixing cuz that was Kind of annoying to have a fairly large navy when they come back to uh, a port and then, like, you lose 40 ships. Yeah, I mean, I did that to Britain in another game that we had, just kind of wiped out the British navy. But that's them sitting it in Portsmouth and rather than, like, having it on patrol and stuff. And you should expect, if you've got someone that's got air superiority, that they're going to damage ships, etc. Yeah, but it was not to that extent, I don't think. Mm. Well. Uh, I... I thought, basically, I thought it was just a little bit too easy for them to, to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Eternal or Talvet, who wants to jump in next? 
Damn it. All right, so, I guess I'll go. Well, as I already mentioned, uh, can I agree? Um, is it made it easier to learn and it's still hard to master? Mm -hmm. And it's more acceptable to new players. Obviously, it's still missing many things uh, from the previous game. A lot of contact, uh, a lot of content has to be made. Uh, but it's part of that that I think is a really polished game, mm -hmm. which many of us might enjoy. I like how they managed to simplify politics. You can turn from Nazi Germany to a democratic Germany if you wish, and do turn. United States from a democratic country into a communist country, mm -hmm. which I really like. It's um, it has this sort of fantasy world, this sort of uh, alternative universe, which is something I was seeking in this grand strategy game. Okay. And Tavet. I uh, thoroughly enjoy it as a uh, Hearts of Iron noob. Uh, I found it really easy. I started. I played the uh, tutorial and everything. One thing I got uh, against that though is that it doesn't teach you really how to use your air force, and mm -hmm. uh, we're all not in the right, correct game state anymore. What the fuck happened? We're not saying. Yeah, we broke um, the game, awesome. guys. You will you resave it? And what's the plan? Uh, I can put it back up if you guys were. Yeah. Obviously, I have a still question. Well, we know in Stellaris they kind of fixed the multiplayer issue with the synchronization. How did it go in Hearts of Iron? I mean, it's it's not happened as like we've had larger games than normal, yeah. and it hasn't happened as much. Stellaris uh -huh. has. I've never had that. I've never had that issue ever. No. And I thought that they would add in like hot joining or something to this because it seemed you know it ran really well with uh, and the game's up by the way, yeah. it ran really well in Solaris, but uh, I think they got rid of it entirely from this, which could be just nature of how the games are set up, like a Hearts of Iron type of strategy versus a Solaris type of strategy. I think it could also be that they um, were just kind of trying it out in Solaris. You know what I mean? Well, they had it in the other ones, but it it was very hit. Like EU4, for example, was like the they've had it before then, but um, that was the one that actually did okay with their hot joining um, for these types of strategy games. But um, but overall, EU4 is kind of eh, meh overall in well, multiplayer. What I, what I was gonna say though, um, if you did hot join, there's a Good possibility that eventually it would go out of sync, uh -huh. and sometimes it would be a relatively short amount of time. Sometimes you could go for a while, um, but uh, like, I don't think there's ever been an issue with uh, Solaris with people hot joining. It works really well. I feel like it has something to do with the way they had to implement combat into the game. Where, like, every ship is simulated and has to like, fly and acquire targets yeah, and shoot. And, like, in, yeah. and in order, in, like, Hearts of Iron, you just roll a bunch of dice. Uh, ready yeah. up when you're good, Richard. Oh, sorry. I was looking for fun. Yeah, no, I agree with Sipiak. There's. There's much difference in this. So, so my take on it, 
Okay, as someone who's played Hearts Find 3, played Hearts Find 2 and Darkest Tower. Now, obviously, that's like. You didn't play days. the first one? No, I no, I didn't. The first one was really fun. Um, so, as someone who's played those ones. Hearts of Iron 4 is not the big disappointment that I was dreading slash kind of hoping it was going to be. It sounds weird me saying this. Yeah, you sound listen. like a dick. I was hoping yeah. this game would be gold, and I'm, I was, I'm no, no, very no, no, pleased no, no. with I it. Had, I had two Damn. parts of me. Cold-hearted. There was a part of me that wanted to say, this game is brilliant, I love it. And I do, I absolutely adore it. And there's also a part of me that says, I hate it. it it's terrible. Um, Hard to find three, much better. Just stick to that, ignore this one. Infidel. Um, but and just because you're a cynical Brit. No, that's not just because I'm a cynical Brit. Can we rage him <laughs> after this? Um, but Take after playing it for 70 hours and after the initial impressions, I can't say that. There are issues, and there are some major issues with the game. But it's still our, it's still ours. It's paradox. It generally happens that way anyway. Some of the big things with the issue with the game is obviously what they're trying to address in the red ball patch, which we've already kind of discussed. And I don't like the fact that there's not as many focuses for the nations. It's kind of very much feels like the start of CK2. How CK2 was released. Here, players, any Catholic feudal nation from 1066 to um, 1453. By the way, half the map is Muslim or a different religion or there's merchant republics, but you can't play as them. We're releasing the Sword of Islam DLC. Buy this and you can play as Muslim nations. We're releasing... Oh, you can't play as Orthodox either. We're releasing... Um, could you, no, um, Legacy of Rome. Now you can play as the Byzantines, etc. Oh, now we're releasing Old Gods. We're extending the timeline. That's the thing that really got on my nerves. And is the thing that kind of is already set in motion with Hearts of Iron 4. I mean, you know what, why the reason is, yeah? Yeah, obviously. It's a reason to make money. No, not well, just. What's your view on it? Um, if you look at you know the big major nation player trees or uh, focus trees and everything, there's some things that you know alter the way you play the game. Mm -hmm. um, and to figure out things that would either make sense, allow you to still do what you want, maybe improve what you want, but not be overpowered is kind of a tricky situation. So mm -hmm. I, I understand if you go as a neutral or a minor nation why they would want to have a more generic tree for it. And no. then obviously later on, like they, they didn't um, to my knowledge, do all of the uh, um, what's the word? Like kind of uh, livening up of nations that would be smaller all in DLCs. I think they did some that were in patches later. What's some the, of the nations... Kings? I don't know about Crusader Kings, I haven't really played it, but for well, EU4... Haven't done anything yet for Hearts 4. The EU4, though. EU4. Um, some. There was some. Not much. But I most, just think they made too many of them generic. Most national ideas anyway. Um, it, they were kind of culture ideas. And most of them were fairly fleshed out. But then they released like DLC like such as um Common Sense, which made it more fun to play as smaller nations, um Eldorado, yeah. which made it more fun to play as daily nations. It's not obviously it's not stopping you from playing as the smaller nations, uh 
the non-major nations in the game. Um, Talvet still uh, argues that Canada should have had a full focus tree. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Well, there's a few countries that should have had more than just a yeah, generic I focus tree. Yeah, I think I think countries such as uh, Hungary, Romania, um, I think countries such as Finland, Canada. At least have like ideas, like you know how like Austria has like Ange- I mean, um, Germany has like Angelus and shit like that. Like, uh, there's there's different um, ideas that can make you get you into a faction with the Soviet Union, for example, uh, yeah. German Soviet axis, shit like like game changing stuff like that. There should be something like that where like Romania could turn on Germany or something or whatever, you know, something something along those lines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like with certain nations, I think I just think they should have something, not just a generic. Spice it up slightly based on the region, maybe if anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's expecting a bit too much. Is all. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see, but I mean, it just kind of without when it's generic, it just makes it a little boring to play as one of like the neutrals. Like you plays. There's only a certain amount of nations that it's even worth playing as, basically. But the generic tree is also fairly, like, powerful. If you use, if you yeah, you can kind of have yeah. an idea of what you're yeah. doing, I've and you can become as... a fairly major player. I've used it as um, the Netherlands, and it's been quite fun. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. It's it's something that obviously I would have liked to have more of, but it's a minor thing, and people are kind of inverted commas fixing it with patches. People are releasing their patches that are adding flavour to Commonwealth nations, so all the kind of um, tanks and stuff are getting names and they're getting pictures, and people are updating it for different nations, and some nations are getting focus trees that people are making. It's it's all quite nice. So it's kind of happening how we'd expect it to happen anyway. People would take it in their hands. It looks beautiful, might I add. This game looks great. But then, another issue I'm going to have is there's no difference in the units. And it really, really fucks me off. So, there is difference, obviously, between the, like tanks, but they were released as DLC and content that you had to buy. Um, so, like, you as you upgrade your tanks, the actual sprites for them get upgraded. Nice. But your infantry stay the same. So for America, your infantry are always carrying M1 Garands, which, well, they didn't always carry M1 Garands from, for all of it. They started off with Springfields and then went to Garands, and then you'd have Carbines and stuff like that. Um, paratroopers don't look different to normal infantry. Marines don't look different to normal infantry. Um... It's the same with the Germans it's, uh, the Brits. Nobody looks different. And it's just little things that, you know, could have been added and hopefully will be added that makes these look different. Just to bring out, kind of... It's so nice to see them play as sprites. I prefer, like, playing with sprites on and the counters than to just having counters by themselves, um, which is obviously what some people... Well, which is how I played it in Hearts of Iron 3. Um, but... As I say, it's a little bit kind of, uh, how about, you know, give flesh it out a little bit, make it a little bit more fun. Um, it's tough, as I say, we'll have to uh, wait and see what they do with it. But as you said, as you guys said, the way that you can change governments is nice and fun. It leads to ahistorical gameplay. It means that you can play this game over and over again and not do the same game. 
One thing I'm going to be doing on the channel, if it fucking starts working, I don't know why it's not capturing it tonight, we'll have a look at it and try and sort it out, is we will, hopefully, play, um, I've been, I put on the subreddit a few weeks ago asking what people would like to see in an updated achievement list, because obviously we do have achievements in this game, but what would people want to have updated in it? And you guys got back to me with a fair few comments, and some of them are absolutely great. So I gave a suggestion of restoring the Austro-Hungarian Empire, or I called it Franz Ferdinand's Revenge. And the idea of this was um, you have to take over um, the borders of Austro-Hungarian Empire as either H H uh, Hungary or Austria. Now... You can't do it as Austria unless you're willing to go with War of Germany in 1938. Then, so many suggestions we got from other people with a permanent revolution, conquer or puppet all countries in the world as the USSR. Um, sun never sets on a Japanese empire, take London as fascist as uh, Japan. Someone said the sun is always... Um, what was it? There was a really good... Yeah, the rising sun sets on the British Empire was the best name for that one. And there's various others. So what I might be doing on the channel over the next few weeks and months or whatever is trying to do these challenges. Um, do these self-made achievements as such. And obviously you'll be seeing it on the channel. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to do something a little bit different. We are going to start a second series of our podcast. We are going to do a podcast which is Platypus After Hours. Um, which is generally where we're not talking about uh, Paradox anymore. We will just be trying to talking about um, anything that we want to talk about. The reason I've decided to do this is because people do want to have a podcast that does have informative, up-to-date news on pla uh, Paradox, but they also want to have a podcast that kind of is a bit chilled out. And I don't really want to be editing and uploading two-and-a-half-hour podcasts all the time. Um, yeah, cheers for everyone who's joined us, and we'll be seeing you next week. Thank you very much.